you brought the word with you today, and I trust that you did, I want to invite you to turn to the book of Matthew this morning. We're going to Matthew chapter 2, and uh, I, I think we have listed 1 through 12, but I'm going to stop at verse 11. So let's go to Matthew chapter 2, and we're going to begin at verse 1 down through 11. And, and we'll be looking at that in just a moment. But first off, I want to say uh, happy Thanksgiving, by the way. <laughs> it's so good to have you here today, honestly, on this holiday weekend. And, and we're just kind of coming off Thanksgiving and, uh, you know, after a bunch of turkey or whatever it is that we had, you know. Uh, uh, so anyhow, I'm trusting you had a great, great holiday. Um, I, I want to ask for your liberty and, and your permission uh, to begin a sermon series today. Uh, due to the fact that we have a children's program in two weeks and we have an adult program, by the way, they're going to be totally awesome. And I agree with with uh, our worship leader that we need to bring people and invite them to come and check out this children's program because Karen does an absolute bang up job. Michelle does an awesome job with the adult choir. And so we're going to have some really good programs that are coming up. But because of that, I, I I'm wanting to extend my time in regards to the season of Advent. And so Advent really begins next Sunday, but I want to preach my first message on Advent today. Is that okay with you guys? Can I, do I have your permission that we can begin this morning? Amen. And so because of that, that's right. What's that? Say that again. Oh, okay. Well, well, if you said no, then I don't know what I would do. I was trying to think of some pithy comeback, but I couldn't, nothing came to my mind. But anyhow, so, so I do have your permission, right? Okay. So anyhow, I want to talk about Jesus. That's what I'm saying. And, and so we're going to do that. Let's go to Matthew chapter two and, and we'll begin in verse one in just a moment. I, I want to begin by sharing with you though a video that I witnessed on TV on a program called America's America's Funniest Videos. How many ever watched that program before? America's Funniest Videos, and they've got videos on there with, you know, pets and children and family and, and silly stuff that happens and all that. And I, I had to laugh when I, I watched this father was filming the son, and it was one of the videos, of course, presented on the program. And the son was maybe eight or nine years old, and it looked like he was the only child they had. And he comes down the stairs. It's Christmas morning, and he notices this big package that's wrapped, this big package beside the Christmas tree, and runs over, and he jumps into that package. He starts tearing the paper off. I mean, paper's flying. He's so excited. He, he flips it open. Oh, it's just what I wanted. Wow, it's just what I wanted. And he's running around. His father's filming this. He's running around. It's just what I wanted. And then he paused and went back over and looked in the box and looked at his mom and said, well, what is it? <laughs> I think sometimes, you know, when it comes to Christmas, we're a little a little bit like that because we're excited about Christmas. I mean, we're excited about what's coming up and maybe we're not too sure about what, you know, our experience is going to be. And and maybe it's about, you know, you know, the events or maybe it's about what we do as a family or maybe it's about maybe the things that we get. And I think the, the temptation is that we get caught up in, in what the commercialization of our, our society wants us to get caught up in, and that is all the things and all the stuff and all the materialism that we begin to associate with Christmas. And, and, and I, I think there's a, a, a danger in that because what happens is we begin to think that Christmas is more about us than it is about Jesus. I came across an interesting article uh, about uh, superstars or superstardom, and this article was talking about how the way that we treat famous people, the way that we treat superstars, really is a telltale sign a little bit about our culture 
you know, and our focus. And so they were referring to it was the Daily Star was the the uh, I guess the publication it was called uh, the Daily Star. And they were saying uh, they given a list of of the expectations that superstars have when they come to do a concert. So bear with me. So the first one is Beyonce. And Beyonce has some demands when she has a concert. In fact, they are up there. She has demands when she comes and does a concert. And uh, this is just a few of the demands. For an example, all crew members must wear 100% cotton. If they are not wearing cotton, they are dismissed. They are terminated. Uh, Alkaline water must be chilled to exactly 21 degrees and served with $900 titanium straws. Interesting. This is if she's going to do a concert. They have to sign this contract. All the bathrooms must have new toilet seats. I mean, what is that? They have to have new toilet seats and red toilet paper at every venue. Can you imagine? This is what Beyonce demands. A hand-carved ice ball should be made after each show to cool her throat. And, and, of course, the list goes on and on and on. The article also mentions Katy Perry. How many know Katy Perry? Okay. Uh, Katy Perry, uh, she has some demands. In fact, her demands take up, get this, take up 45 pages, 45 pages of expectations. Somebody kind of made fun of me this morning because the girls always make sure I have water. And the guy came up to me after the early service and said, well, Pastor Miller, I want to see a list of your demands. <laughs> I go, ah, water, that's all it is. But anyhow, Katy Perry has 45 pages and her demands, including a 21-point list of how the driver is to behave. She has specific foods on the list, explicit details on furniture, lamps, and such. And even her dressing room has to be draped in pink drapes or white drapes. There cannot be any other color showing at all in her dressing room. These are the demands that she has. And, and so I go back to the article thinking about you know, how this is kind of a telltale sign about the world that we live in the world that is around us. And now we come to this time that we call Advent. And I'm thinking about how Advent is really, it should be the reversal of all of that. It is, it is Advent that it is a time to calm ourselves and maybe perhaps a time to enlarge our thinking when it comes to God and, and enlarge our thinking when it comes to who Jesus Christ is because that's really what Christmas is about. It's about Jesus Christ. It's about Jesus Christ. It's deeper than that. Advent is about the Christian tradition that we have as believers and that's in tradition that we come to the season. Amen. We come to the season and, and we are warmly reminded that, that, that Christ is about Christmas. In fact, the word Christmas itself, Christ and Moss and Moss in Spanish is more. It's more of Christ. It's more of Christ that Christmas is what it's about. And it's the tradition that we have as believers in holding this season up for our faith and for all of Christendom. It's a, a season of anticipation that we are anticipating that the, the king is coming, anticipating that there is this birth of a beautiful child that we, we celebrate. It is, it is about building you know, larger hearts for God and larger hearts for others. You see, Advent is all, it's all about that. It encompasses all of that. As we are reminded of the Christmas story that we've heard so very many times. And I, I want to invite you to listen with open hearts this morning. As we look at Matthew chapter 2 beginning at verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod. Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, 
He asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down. You can imagine they bowed down, and they worshipped him. And then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Precious Father in heaven, I thank you for the word today, and I thank you for this beautiful story. I thank you, Father in heaven, how you always weave truth into your scripture, into your, your written word. The word that becomes a living word among us, and a word that is alive and that brings life. So, Father in heaven, I pray that your arms would just wrap around each person today, and Lord, that you would just... Lord, fill that mind this morning that is, that is maybe questioning, that mind that is searching this morning. Thank you, Father, for this story. Thank you, Lord, for this, the season that is upon us. And Lord, may we not take it lightly, but may we be reminded, Lord, of the preciousness of this moment, this time that we're remembering when you became flesh. So we ask all these things in Jesus Christ's glorious name. Amen. And amen. You know, representing this text, you know, it's interesting if, I mean, you look at it from, say, a literary, uh, a literary way that, that you see there's different characters that play different roles, really even contrasting roles. If you just look at the story, okay, this is a story, and in the story you have the Magi, and the Magi represents those that are coming to worship Jesus, and we can see that. And then there's Herod who seeks the death of the Savior, the death of Christ. And so we could say in the sense of a story from that literature or uh, that perspective that he is the evil one. He's the nemesis that's in the story playing that character. And then there's the religious elite. And it's a jealousy that we see in them that grows as Christ grows and the, the plan of Christ unfolds and their jealousy follows that plan. And we see that. And, and what really is most interesting, I mean, look at the story for a moment. What's most interesting, as readers, we, we're almost forced into the side of that of the Magi. You know, into the side of those that have come to worship Christ. And, and it's interesting due to the fact that they are, they are more likely to represent the Magi now. They are more likely to represent the pagan world than the religious world. I mean, think about that for a moment. I mean, pause just long enough to, to see what's happening. So here's the Magi. They're, they're, they're coming by... Uh, the orders of the Persian king, and they come in grand style, in pomp and display, and they're bearing the gifts as they are. We, we see that, but notice that they are astrologers. And astrologers, they're involved in divination, and involved in sorcery, and, and all the things that later on that the scripture condemns as bad or evil practices. And I guess the interesting dynamic of the story, and the characters that we're trying to fit in place is that God still uses them. 
that God still uses them. And even though they're maybe different than others, or maybe in the margins, that, that God is still using them. And notice in the story the, the star that takes them so far, but then they have to ask directions. I mean, stay in tune to the scripture. Remember that. Paying respects with the gifts that are that are offered to them, they bring in the practice of of, of the ancient days when when kings were about building relationship with other kings. We see that. I mean, in the story, there's speculation. We can speculate about the gifts. We can speculate about the timing for if the distance that the kings had traveled was fourteen hundred miles, as some scholars say. Then maybe it's perhaps months that, that, that they arrive sometime later after the birth of Christ. And so we've kind of compacted the story so that it's commercialized and simply processed and understood. And, and that's where we're standing this morning. It's interesting when we really look at it as, as a story that the, the scripture gives, that God gives us. There's a lot of speculation. The items given, the gifts to honor the king, the deity... It's not unusual that the gold maybe possibly would have some symbolism like maybe representing, you know, the kingship of Christ. The frankincense representing as a symbol maybe his priestly role in the future and the myrrh, the prefiguring of his death and embalming experience and reality of the death of Christ and, of course, the resurrection of Christ. I mean, all of this we see unfold in the story, but it is not without some clue. I mean, some clues about, you know, how then do we apply this to life? I mean, how is this relevant for you as a man and you as a woman? How does this apply as a young person? Well, we see the symbolism in the gifts, and that's where we want to hang this morning, so bear with me. We see the symbolism possibly in the gifts. I mean, we have, of course, the gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh. And so we have the gold that perhaps may be taken as, you know, representing all that we have. Maybe it's the gold that represents the wealth, the things that, 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 you know, that maybe hopefully that we possess and they don't possess us. It's the gold that represents, you know, the, the materialism that, that, that we're surrounded by, but yet with a reminder that there's something more precious than gold, something more precious than jewels. I love the legend that's told of a boy who had absolutely nothing. It was the holiday many years ago and in a foreign land, and he, he had only an apple that had been given to him, a, a fresh red apple that had been given to him for Christmas, and it's all he had. He had nothing else. And so as the legend goes, the boy goes to church there, and he, he, he puts it in the offering. He puts the red apple in the offering and where they would place the alms at that time, that day. And, and, and then afterwards, after the service, the priest gathers the, the, the alms and the offerings, and, and lo and behold, he finds there... In the box that he received the alms, he finds not just a red apple, but the priest finds an apple of pure gold. That's the legend. The apple had become pure gold. Could you imagine how heavy that apple would be? The apple had become pure gold. You see, the moral of the legend is that no matter how simple or how little your gift is, it's precious in the eyes of God. No matter what it is that you bring to Jesus, it's precious in the eyes of God because you have value in the eyes of God. And we recognize the value of the gold that, that God has blessed us with. And then we have the frankincense. What, what is frankincense? It's, it's incense. It, it's something that we burn and in the fire it begins to release the sweet smell of the aroma of frankincense. As it's symbolic of the sweetness of our care and our attention that we give and offer to our Father in heaven. It's like the fragrance that Paul 
he mentions in the New Testament that, that we are to be a fragrance as unto Christ. The fragrance like, like Christ in, in life. I, I remember just uh, not many years ago, and I was younger, of course, and a little bit daring, and I was sharing this with somebody last night at, at dinner, and I was talking about a sermon I'd done uh, that many years ago, a sermon I'd done, and it was one of those sermons you kind of demonstrate. And so I'd come on that you know, the stage that morning, I'd set aside some rain boots, some blue colored rubber rain boots. And and what people didn't know is that I chopped up some onions or Heidi or I, one of us had chopped up some onions and I would put them in those boots. And so I went to the boots and I, I began my sermon and I took my, my dress shoes off and my socks off. And I, I put my feet in those boots and I'm standing in those wet, mushy, chopped up onions. And I'm talking about the fragrance of Christ. And how it's the fragrance of Christ that is to literally permeate every cell of our body, every part of our being. And then I shared something that they didn't know, that I had chopped up onions in my boots. And in fact, science says that, that, that when you stand in onions, that your breath will smell like onions without ever having touched them. And so I asked for a volunteer to come up and smell my breath. I didn't find one. <laughs> but anyhow, of course, the illustration stands. That there is a fragrance that permeates our very being. And that fragrance is to affect our life and it's affect our heart. It's, it's a fragrance of Christ that affects, you know, the very smile that we have upon our face and, and even our actions that we, we commit with our family members and our neighbors and our friends. And, and frankincense reminds us of the beautiful fragrance of Christ in our life. And, and then we have the myrrh. And we have the myrrh, and, and, and myrrh is something that I, I didn't understand what it was until I researched this a bit. And, and myrrh is a, it's a resin or an oil-like substance that comes from a thorny tree. And that, that oil then is very valuable, and it's used for its embalming and medicinal purposes. And maybe it's the thorny tree, the oil, the, the myrrh that represents the sorrows of life. Maybe it represents the pain that you've been going through. And as we go to this Christmas season and we move in the spirit of Advent, it's the spirit of a living God that, that pours a sustaining balm like uh, anointing presence in our life. And it's that presence of a living Savior that, that helps us through those dark times. And it helps us through the pains and it helps us through the heartache. And I don't know where you're at right now, but I know this, that Jesus loves you. And that it's the balm-like presence of the Spirit of God that wants to pour over you and sustain you during this holiday season as we begin and we celebrate the Advent experience. I guess what I want to share is that our chief idea at Christmas, now listen to this, our chief idea at Christmas is that we want to make everybody happy. I think that's how we begin the season oftentimes. But Jesus came to bring to us something that's, that's more of an eternal happiness, an eternal joy, something that this world that cannot offer, a blessing that comes from God. And, and really remembering the gifts that Jesus received, maybe by remembering these gifts that we can apply you know, the truths in special way to our life to make a difference. In fact, I have a challenge for you this morning. I, I want to challenge you as a parent or maybe even as a boyfriend or a girlfriend. I want to challenge you this morning in, in the way that you give gifts this year 
And, and he, here's an idea. This is just an idea. My wife and I did this one year with our children. And, and then I, I'm assuming they liked it. But we did this literally one year with our children. So I want to challenge you to give gifts this way. I, I challenge you to give one gift like that of gold. That you give a gift of, of something that that child wants. Something that, that that spouse maybe wants. Something maybe it's a favorite novel or a book that they've been looking at, or or maybe it's a, some kind of you know a piece of clothing that they've been wanting to buy. So you buy them one thing that they want that represents the gold. The second thing I, uh, that represents the frankincense invite you to buy a gift that will draw them closer to God. So that second gift might be a devotional book. It might be a, a cross that they can hang around their neck. You know, some gift that draws them in the relationship with God closer to their maker. Amen? And so that represents the frankincense. And then the third gift is a gift that they would wear like the oil when you're anointed with oil. A gift that would bring strength to them and, and maybe encouragement. A gift that maybe would make them feel good about themselves. You know, a gift that maybe for one, it might make them feel beautiful. For another person, it might make them feel confident. But some kind of gift that would just compliment and, you know, encourage them. And so I challenge you to, to buy gifts, you know, for your family that way. Now, in the preceding Sundays before Christmas, I'm going to share with you in our Advent messages all the way up to the Christmas Eve Sunday morning uh, service. I'm going to be sharing some challenges with you. I'm going to share some of these challenges that I think will be intriguing and interesting. So you do not want to miss any of the Advent messages because you're going to be challenged maybe in a new way like you never have before. So this time I challenge you to buy a gift. Uh, that is something that they want, uh, one gift that will draw them closer to God, and, of course, one gift that they can wear like oil that will bring encouragement and blessing upon them in the way they think about themselves. And, and, and of course, all of this, I share all this so that we can reimagine who Jesus Christ is. So imagine Jesus. That's the title we're talking about. Imagine Jesus. And now we reimagine how we can be Jesus. We reimagine how we might be Christ. To others and those around us, and to recognize that Jesus really is our hope in this Christmas season, and that Christmas does have a light that shines for us that might be the hope that somebody is looking for. I, I love the story that um, one pastor shares about his professor, Dr. Taylor. Dr. Taylor tells about going to preach at a rural church many years ago. It, it was a time when electricity was just being brought into this part of Alabama. And Dr. Taylor, as a student, had gone to preach at this rural church in Alabama. And at this point, it was a small sanctuary, and they had wooden pews and a wooden floor. And you can imagine the forest creaking as they walked on the floors. had just one aisle in the center, and it had one wire. The church sanctuary had one wire with one light bulb hanging from that one wire. That's all they had. They had just got electricity in that old rural church. And so now as a student, Dr. Taylor, as a student, was preaching away. And in the middle of a sermon, pink, all of a sudden the light goes out. And it's on a Sunday night, and he's in the darkness, and you can hear people shuffling, and ladies grabbing the purses, and, and so he's wondering, what am I going to do? And, and, then, and, and then just when his anxiety was beginning to kick in, he hears this old guy in the back scream out, preach on, preacher, preach on, we can still see Jesus in the dark. <laughs> and there's something symbolic about that. I mean, in this time, in this culture, 
I mean, in this world that we're living, that sometimes it may feel as if things are bleak, but in the midst of the bleakness, in the midst of the darkness, we can still see Jesus in the dark. Amen. And there is a light that shines, and that shines brightest at Christmas time. Amen. I love what one man writes. Now, bear with me. I'm just about done. Here's what this one man writes. He says, if our greatest need had been information, God would have sent an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent an economist. If our greatest need had been pleasure, God would have sent us an entertainer. But our greatest need was forgiveness, so God sent us a Savior. Amen! God sent us a Savior, and that Savior is Jesus Christ. Amen! That's what Advent is about. Advent is to remind us that there is a light in the darkness and that Jesus loves you and that Jesus cares about your life and that we can experience that love when we include Jesus in our Christmas, include Jesus in our Advent. And I believe that God will be glorified as we do that. I want to invite us this morning in a spirit of thanksgiving, preparation of Christmas, to receive the Lord's Supper as we do on Sunday mornings in this service. But, but maybe it's with a little bit more thankful spirit than we've taken before. The reminder that Jesus Christ came and came for all of mankind. He gave himself upon the cross that we might have life and that life abundantly. I want to, I want to invite you to be reminded that Jesus Christ, his body was broken for you. His blood was spilt so that you might have that life. So I want to invite us to take communion in that way with the spirit of thanksgiving this morning. In fact, I want to invite the servers that's going to help me this morning. Won't you come and invite you just to kind of move this way? In fact, let's stand together. Let's prepare our hearts as we prepare for worship through the Lord's Supper. In this response time, in just a moment, as I release you to come and partake of God's Holy Supper here, I invite you to respond as holy the Holy Spirit leads you.